0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the News Du Jour, a calmer space to consume the news. So I have a special guest here with us today. This is Georgia Beek, and she is an attorney here in Oklahoma, but she's also pursuing her PhD in political science from OU. So she's honestly the perfect person to help shed some light on the subject of Trump's charges. So I want to say a warm welcome to Georgia. Hi, it's nice to be here. The first question is, Georgia, what do you think of the charges overall and what are points of interest to you? Were you surprised that it was basically 34 counts of the same charge? There's a lot to unpack with this question. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the district attorney worded the indictment
1: in an extremely vague way, but I think that there really wasn't um, another strategic way to go about it because- The law in this area is so, you know, this is a novel issue that hasn't been explored before. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can kind of walk through, you know, the various steps of legal analysis here. Um, What I'm looking forward to most in the next couple months is seeing how the motion to dismiss uh, plays out in December. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the first step of analysis is looking at whether it is um, possible to, Raise the offense from the level of a misdemeanor to a felony under the New York statute at issue,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because the statute of limitations is going to come into play. So, mm-hmm. if if it is a misdemeanor, then they only had two years to prosecute the case,
0: mm.
1: and in that in that situation, I mean the the case just wouldn't be successful. But if they can raise mm. it to the level of a felony, then they can fall under the five year statute of limitations. But in order to do that, they're going to have to some way prove that, you know, the This falls under federal election laws, and that is Mm -hmm. something that clearly has never been explored before in this scenario. Um, And so I think that that's going to be really determined the next couple months. And there's, you know, unless that goes in the prosecution's favor, it's going to be a really um,
0: tough case to move forward on. Mm -hmm. And that kind of leads us to our second question, which is, do you think Alvin Bragg will run into issues trying to prove that you know, Trump broke federal campaign laws when he's, you know, not in a federal position.
1: Yeah, I think he's going to run into a lot of issues with that. And like I said, I think that's the most determinative issue of, of all the issues in front of us. Um, I Kind of an applicable analogy is, is three-strike laws that apply in different states where if you're convicted, you know, of, of three crimes, then you go to prison for X amount of time. But the key word there is convicted. Here, Trump hasn't even been charged with a federal crime. Mm. So <laughs> he's trying to say, like, okay, well, this is gonna raise I'm gonna wanna raise this to the level of a felony for someone that hasn't even been charged for the crime. And that's gonna mm. be a precedent that's really difficult to explore. And if you notice in the indictment, he didn't even touch on which federal laws he's gonna, you know, which campaigns campaign finance laws he's going to work under because I don't think he knows yet. (laughs) You know, I think I think what's going to happen is he's going to go back to his research team and they're going to, you know, pull legal precedent and, you know, craft the best argument that they can. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, if I were him, I would have I would have been just as vague in this position. Um, But like I said, I think that there's going to be a real challenge there. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it hinges on the fact that Trump hasn't been charged or convicted with a federal crime. And that's just a new area um, that, that hasn't been explored before.
0: Mm-hmm. So this is a question that just popped in my head um, that I hadn't sent you. But do you feel like if they are successful somehow with this, do you think federal charges will then be brought after this case if if they succeed? I
1: mean, that's a really difficult question to answer, because, like I said, we don't know the federal mm-hmm. campaign finance laws that would be an issue yet. You know, and so mm-hmm. that's just if you don't know the laws or the facts that would apply to that, that's a that's a really difficult question. The New York law mm-hmm. requires that it, it it has to be some sort of business expense. And I'm sure the federal mm. campaign finance laws require that it has to be used for campaign oriented purposes. And that's mm-hmm. going to be that's going to be something that comes up. I think that there's a pretty. You know, possible argument that he could say, no, this was a personal expense. I paid it with personal funds. Mm-hmm. whether it mm-hmm. was a personal account or a trust, I'm not sure, but personal funds. And I did it just to make my wife not mad at me, you know, it mm-hmm. had nothing to do with the election. And so that comes down to like applying facts to law. Mm-hmm. And then you would have, you know, maybe, um, testimony from Cohen to come in on that. Uh, mm-hmm. but I think that at that point, and like I said, I'm, I'm not sure which federal campaign finance laws would be an issue, mm-hmm. but, um, you, you would have to look at the exact wording uh, for a legal analysis. But I think that would be I th- if I if I were Trump, that's what I would say. I'd be like look, I just did it for personal reasons and mm-hmm. I use my personal money. So we're not even in that ballpark. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't think we know enough yet to know if that's going to be a tenuable argument.
0: Yeah, no, that is a fascinating direction to take it, because what we're going to talk on later in this episode is the fact that Melania was noticeably, absent from yesterday's events you know she wasn't at she didn't travel with him to New York she wasn't at the courthouse and she didn't go to his speech at Mar-a-Lago where she lives so you know it would seem that maybe she's pissed at him and so I wonder if maybe that's playing into that angle like look what you guys have done she's so mad at me now Um, that would be an interesting angle to pursue our next question is, what do you see as the biggest challenges that Alvin Bragg faces? And if if that's the biggest challenge, then, you know, we can skip that question. But what do you think about that?
1: Well, like I said, I think that the biggest challenge is going to be the fact that he's trying to apply the statute um, using federal law when there hasn't been a charge or conviction. I mean, if he can't get past that step, then mm-hmm. he, we're I mean, he's kind of dead in the water because the statute of limitations already run in the misdemeanor mm. realm. Um, so it. I mean, that's going to be really determinative to his case. And I also want to point out to people that, uh, because I've read a lot about this and I kind of gathered this a little bit from the questions that we talked about beforehand. Mm -hmm. The reason that he put so many different um, counts in the indictment was because it actually, not only does it give him latitude to explore and, you know, kind of um, manipulate the process as he goes, but it also goes to sentencing. Because, I mean, if there's more thrown against you, then you have a higher likelihood of being sentenced Mm. You know, for a longer period of time. So I mean, he's obviously being very aggressive about this. Um, but yeah, I like I said, I think that that's that's going to be step one, and I, and that's really what I, I would say everyone should be watching for, especially mm-hmm. in December with the first motion to dismiss, and to really understand the the gravity of the statute of limitations here. Now, if he doesn't get that, you know, kind of um, felony boost, then there's you know, there's really no moving forward. So
0: got it and you said December so is that when we will see the next like movement that's my in- understanding I I like heard that in passing mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe I have that
1: but from my understanding that's when the judge um is scheduled to rule um wow. on that first motion and like I said I could be wrong We'd probably need to fact check that but that was that was what I heard and that seems like a you know reasonable timeline for me based on what I've seen
0: okay um, yeah, yeah, I'll definitely follow up on that because that is so crazy how it would really put us right in the heat of the presidential election. I mean, it's just going to be a yeah. lot to juggle. But what do you see as the biggest challenges that the Trump team will face in this case? I I mean,
1: th- this isn't really necessarily from a legal direction, but I think that people, you know, have very strong feelings about Trump one way or the other. Um, mm. And I think that that is definitely going to come into to play um,
0: with jury you know, selection
1: I think that Trump he <laughs> can be his own best friend he could be his own worst enemy depending how on how you look at it mm-hmm. and if he doesn't handle this properly from a PR standpoint I think that that can have great ramifications I think the judge is obviously judges have a obligation to be completely neutral but I do not you know envy the judge in this situation <laughs> um, he's going to be subjected to so much scrutiny you know um and his neutrality is going to be called into question every single step of the way mm-hmm. i don't i mean if the case does get to jury people have to understand that jury selection is a really comprehensive deep kind of psychological process in these high-profile mm. cases and you know um i'm sure you know defense teams have you know a lot of money to spend i'm sh- it seems like this case is very important to the prosecution. So if even if if it did get to the point of juror selection, you're going to have top analysts in there trying to pick jurors that, you know, are favorable to one side or the other, or at least dismiss jurors that, you know, show, um, you know, extreme prejudice toward the case. So, like I said, I, I think that that's going to be really tricky for the Trump team, uh, to navigate. I do think that the fact that Cohen had, you know, has, a written statement saying like Trump knew that these funds were, you know, that the intent of what he was doing was to like win the campaign. I don't think that that's helpful mm. for the Trump, you know, Trump, uh, for the defense, because like I said, I think whether I, I think that a huge argument for them was like, Hey, this was a personal matter. And so the fact that you have someone else being like, no, I, I don't think it was. And, and you have evidence that's that operates contrary to that. Mm. Uh, is a big deal. But I like I said, I don't think that that is the main deal breaker. I think I think this I think the ability to I think the prosecution's ability to raise this to a felony under the wording of the current New York statute is, is like so determinative. And I don't think it's mm. going to be that long before we know the answer to that.
0: Yeah, I'm sure there's so many legal experts who are like sinking their teeth into that question right now because um, it is very, again, unprecedented and just new. And that's, to my understanding, that's not helpful in a courtroom. <laughs> you want to sort of be able to rely on past precedent. Is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm sure that, you know, like I said, I, his legal team, his legal research team is going to go back and pull everything they can to prove that this is. Mm. you know, a viable legal argument. <laughs> and that that is exactly why he made the indictments as broad as broad as he did was so he can have the time to do that. Because I mean DAs are busy. They're mm. they're, you know, there are some limitations to funding that um, you know, the private enter you know, private enterprise doesn't have they they a lot of cases. And so um you have to be realistic about that. And I'm sure this is a top priority, but they're they have their work cut out for them for sure.
0: Yeah. And that was something interesting that I heard yesterday that was like, is should this be a top priority? And I thought that was an interesting question because Chris Christie was making the case that, like, you know, there's bigger fish to fry. There's like violent crimes going on in New York that they could be putting these resources into. um, And that sort of was a question for like the taxpayers in Manhattan. You know, do they want their D.A.? really pursuing this. But I feel like that takes us right back to jury selection. There's not a person in this whole country, maybe the whole world, who doesn't have an opinion about Donald Trump. So I feel like it's going to be so heated to try and pick a jury if they even get to that point.
1: Well, one thing that I would, you know, is really important to me that and I think that everyone should, you know, I'd like to Publicized. I do think it's an opportunity for people to get really informed and educated and actually read like read the indictment read mm-hmm. like substantive legal analysis from like you know c- qualified individuals because mm-hmm. it it does give us as you know it does give us the as the public the opportunity to mm-hmm. you know use our brains and think critically for ourselves like is this is an important issue is this something that should succeed what do mm-hmm. I truly think about this instead of just kind of letting you know, some media outlets just feed, you know, our opinion, like, be really critical about it, because this is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, This man was and could be the President of the United States again. And, um, you know, our most powerful weapon is our critical thinking skills in our minds as citizens. So the more we do that, I think the more power we'll have.
0: Georgia, I absolutely love that. As you read interesting, you know, pieces, will you be sure to send those over to me so I can share them um, on our social media and in our show notes and whatnot?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And likewise, too. You know, I like to read so this stuff to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: well, if everyone, you read something juicy yeah. or really thought provoking, I would just love to share it with everyone and be that resource for everybody going forward um, to you know, find really thought provoking pieces, again, that aren't from these like same talking heads that we're hearing over and over again. Um, So our last question today, what are you going to be looking for as you watch the trial unfold? And maybe let's go ahead and assume like it gets past the first hurdle, which is, you know, having the federal charges like let's assume it goes to trial. What would you be looking for in the courtroom or what are you excited to hear go down?
1: I mean, I'm really interested to see how the judge handles the case. Like I said, I think he's in a really interesting position. I'm curious to see what he actually, how he rules and his justification for it, because everything he does is going to be subject to scrutiny. I'm very interested um, in his opinion and rulings as well, because the more neutral, like when you come to the change of venue issue, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's like they want to change the venue. Well, if the judge doesn't change the venue, then there's like always the question like, well, if he did change the venue, would the outcome have been different? You know?
0: Right. And so every
1: step of the way, it's like, you really, the neutrality of is really important and seeing how he handles that is important too. Um, I'm, I, like I said, I think the secondary issue after we get past, um, you know, getting the charges to the felonious level is uh, the nature of, and I, I didn't really understand this when I read the indictment and I, like how they're going to argue that the funds were used for personal expenses versus campaign expenses mm. and the exact facts around that. You know, there were shell companies used. I'm not sure if just using a shell company's evidence alone uh, to, you know, prove that it wasn't used for a personal expense.
0: Mm.
1: And I, you know, you if you read the indictment, you see, well, you know, the Trump organization CFO or, you know, top financial executive, you know, handled a lot of these business transactions. So like, how determinative is that toward the fact that it was mm. a campaign business expense or a personal expense? Um, so I would really, really watch for issues around that. Because like I said, I think that that's going to be the secondary. Once we get past that first jump, I think that's going to be the secondary um, secondary most important analysis.
0: Mm. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Do you have any other thoughts you'd want to end on or anything else um you want people to be aware of with this with this legal proceeding? Uh, no, I
1: just i'm I was excited for the opportunity and um mm-hmm. I'm just glad to, like I said, to see people get involved and um, think critically and really glad that you do what you do to help people do that and I, we just have to keep supporting each other to <laughs> to mm-hmm
0: learn as much about these issues as we can. So. Yeah, and lean in and pay attention because, again, he's he's on the ballot, you guys. So, yeah, we all have to keep our ears perked up, even though this may feel like old news. And, yeah, really sit up and pay attention. Thank you, Georgia, so much for joining us. And I'll let you go and get on to the rest of the episode. So I wanted to give a special thanks to Georgia because, you guys. She was 35 weeks pregnant while giving that podcast interview. How incredible. Do you guys remember me when I was past the 30-week mark? I was like (sighs) into this microphone. So she's doing amazing. I'm, I'm just so in awe of everything that she handles. Anywho... Let's go ahead and jump into the rest of the episode because I actually do have a bunch of other things to update you guys on. So this is going to be an extra long episode to make up for the fact that we're not going to have one tomorrow for Good Friday. So let's get into the rest of it. So I wanted to go over with you guys the Mar-a-Lago speech and what exactly went down. I sort of like took bullet point notes for you guys that we could run through. So First and foremost, when things opened, they played Proud to be an American and other very trump bass songs while waiting on the president to arrive. He then shook hands as he walked in and took selfies with people in the crowd and sort of made his way to the podium greeting his, his fans. And they announced him as the next president of the United States. Um, they also said that our justice system has become lawless, or at least that's how President Trump put it. I thought it was important that I don't think he was on a script, or at least it didn't appear that way. It seemed very conversational, very classic Trump style speaking. And that was something that I was really interested to see if you guys listened to yesterday's episode, because his words have legal consequences now. So going off script is probably a little scary for his lawyers. So, you know, it's just interesting to see that that was the move he made. And maybe he's just someone that they can't wrangle into sticking to a script. So it didn't seem like he was. Trump also said that they have a, quote, Trump hating judge And that the DA has a Trump-hating wife and family, end quote. He said, quote, they can't beat us through the ballot box, so they try to beat us with the law, end quote. And then he said, quote, Russia, China, Iran, Saudi Arabia, they've joined together in a destructive coalition, would have never happened with me, end quote. And then he said, (laughs) to wrap things up, quote, if you took the five worst presidents and combined them, they would not have done nearly as much destruction as Biden and the Biden administration. We are now a failing nation and a nation in decline, end quote. So that kind of wraps up the Mar-a-Lago situation, And then next up in Trump-related news, I did want to touch on Melania, as I mentioned before when we were in our interview with Georgia. Melania, is she becoming a key player here? I think, you know, she's much more front and center than she ever has been or maybe ever wants to be. Um, She was notably absent from all of the events yesterday. She is kind of a pro at saying a lot Without saying anything at all. Remember her, I really don't care jacket, like when she was boarding the airplane. Do you guys remember that? A word never left her lips in that situation. And yet, her intention was heard around the world. And many noted that yesterday she was not at the president's side. She did not travel with him to New York. She didn't show up at the courthouse. And she did not even show up at the Mar a Lago speech, which was amongst his supporters in her home? Is she bowing out like Ivanka or is she pissed over revelations from these charges? And the biggest question here, would losing her support mean losing the evangelicals? You have to remember that a big part of Trump's base is due to having these evangelical groups supporting him and they do care about things like sleeping with porn stars and having extramarital affairs and that he stays married and things of that nature. So there's a lot to unpack here with her not showing up and it may be more important than it would seem or than it's been in the past. So just wanted to make sure you guys noted all of that and then we do have one quick story before we go for the day or for the week. The creator of Cash App was found murdered in his apartment. So a man named Bob Lee, he is the 43-year-old creator of the Cash app, and he was found stabbed to death in his San Francisco apartment on Tuesday morning. He had also previously worked as an executive at Square and at a crypto startup called Mobile MobileCoin. He was their chief product officer. He is described by many of his peers in this industry as a quote, visionary, unquote. His killer remains at large and a motive remains to be seen as well. We'll definitely keep you guys posted on that unfolding story, and that is the news du jour. Today, I wanted to leave you guys with the quote Maybe it's not about a happy ending, maybe it's about the story. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use to listen. A rate and review or shout out on social media would mean the world to us and help us be able to keep creating the news du jour. But the best way to support all of our work is to become a patron at www.patreon.com forward slash sugar free media. You can also follow us on social media under sugarfreemedia.co on Instagram and just sugarfreemedia, all one word, on TikTok. We appreciate you listening and look forward to telling you about the news again next time on News Du Jour. Broadcasting from...